Hi, I'm Wendy Merchant, founder and executive director of STEM Blazers, and I'd like to welcome you to our podcast. STEM Blazers is a nonprofit organization that works with middle school and high school girls to inspire them to visualize themselves in science, technology, engineering, and math. In today's episode, Madison speaks with Danae Ostad. Danae is a financial advisor, having made her way into the finance industry, traveling a non-traditional path, pursuing her interest and career in finance. Danae is currently focusing her talents on serving women, specifically entrepreneurial women, by supporting this group which is traditionally underserved in the financial world. Danae shares her experiences growing up and her time working in the service industry, where she became self-taught about different investment opportunities and how to apply them to reach her own financial goals, which ultimately led her to where she is today as a financial advisor helping others reach their own financial goals. Danae's approach to personal finance is refreshing as she provides her clients with a safe space to explore what financial success means to them individually and helping them realize their mindset is the first step towards achieving that success. The financial industry is part of the M in STEM. It is important for all women to become financially literate and to set financial goals. Women in STEM professions tend to earn on average 25% more income than their peers working in non-STEM professions, and Danae is helping us achieve success with that income. I hope you enjoy their conversation. Hi everyone, I'm Madison and I'm a STEM Blazers alum. STEM Blazers has given me countless opportunities and limitless encouragement to develop my confidence and professional relationships. I now volunteer with STEM Blazers as I pursue my college degree. And I totally geek out over personal finance, so I'm excited to be speaking with Danae today. Hi Danae, how are you? Hey, I'm doing really well. Happy to be here. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm also happy to have you here. Um, So let's jump right into some questions. So when you were younger, what did you want to do with your life? And what did school look like to you as you were developing those dreams and passions? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, I wanted to be something totally unrelated to where I am today. So uh, when I was a kid, I actually, uh, I really wanted to be in the circus. That was my whole deal. I wanted to be an acrobat. I, I am pretty ADHD, so I kind of just bounced off the walls as a kid. So um, I was actually homeschooled growing up. So I, I had a lot of flexibility. My mom actually stayed home and homeschooled five of us. So um, it was great for me because um, I'm, I'm pretty independent. And like I said, I'd be kind of be bouncing off the walls. So she'd be reading to us and I'd be doing handstands in the corner or uh, I'd be trying to to read by myself. And I'd just be kind of like upside down doing stuff. So as far as other childhood stuff, like, like I said, I was homeschooled, so that definitely was a unique way um, of educating myself and of, of growing up. I think I definitely have a slightly unique background uh, based on just how I was educated and the way that I learned things. So I can definitely say that's translated into a lot of, of what I do today. So unique background, though. I love that. Yeah. Um, so then what do you do now and how did you end up in that position? Okay, so uh, right now, the technical term for what I do is financial advisor. So the reality of what I do is that I teach people about money for the most part. So what I found is that most people uh, never really got any sort of education about their money. So you mentioned that you're kind of a personal finance geek. So where did you learn about money in the first place? Um, I'd say that, well, there, I can't remember what it's called, but there was um, like this nonprofit that would come to elementary schools 
um, all across the country. So they came to our elementary school and taught us like how to write a check and how to budget and things like that, like really basic elementary stuff. Um, So I think that kind of spurred my passion. But then growing up and getting into the more technical things, I just read books to um, educate myself about finance. Yeah. And I am, it's interesting that you have that specific answer because when I ask most people, uh, the answer is kind of split half and half between, well, either my parents, right, or trial and error, right? I just kind of figured it out on my own by making mistakes. And so if it's your parents, a lot of the time it's, well, my parents did a great job with their finances and I want to emulate that as an adult. Or my parents did a terrible job. They didn't knew nothing about finance. They messed everything up. And so I don't want to be anything like them. <laughs> um, that's kind of the half of it. And then the other half is um, people learn through trial and error. So I'll say, you know, I I learned about debt by getting a credit card and then figuring out how credit card debt worked and how interest rates work, right? Or um, I didn't learn about a home buying process until I actually bought a house. Like That's how a lot of people, especially adults, really learn about their money. So it's really unique, actually, that you got a finance class in school because it's only about 21 states actually require a personal finance class. But what's funny is that all 50 states require a lacrosse class, uh, something about broadcast journalism and sex ed, right? But only 21 out of 50 require something about money. So um, that's kind of the the general idea of what I do. Um, I work mostly with women. As clients, that's really my realm, uh, specifically with people who are um, entrepreneurs. That's kind of my specialty. Um, But I also love working with just high achieving women in general. Um, Women are totally underserved in finance, and I'm sure we'll talk about that a little bit more. But I found that um, my specific approach works really, really well for that specific group of people. Um, As far as how I got into finance, when I was homeschooled, right, I kind of felt Um, you know, like I had all of this independence. And so I had a little bit of work to do every single day and I would kind of just do it whenever I wanted to. And then the rest of my time I could really spend developing my, my talents and my interests. And I kind of assumed that that's how adult life would be as well. And it was a wild wake up call when I started in the corporate world when I was 19 and I found out that when I was working a nine to five that I couldn't just leave when my stuff was done. Mm -hmm. Like if I finished all my work and I worked really hard and I was super efficient and I went above and beyond and I still had everything done by like 10 in the morning and they didn't have anything else for me to do. I couldn't go help other people get their jobs done and they weren't going to pay me more for doing things better and more efficiently. So I feel like I made a decision right when I was um, in that first corporate role that that probably wasn't going to be the right fit for me. So uh, I felt like, you know, I had all of this potential and, you know, Madison, there's probably a whole bunch of people in your life too. And especially um, somebody, you know, of, of your intelligence, you're obviously a very capable young person. You probably get a ton of people telling you about your potential. Right. Like, of course, you're, you're so smart. You're going to be right. You're going to be an yep. amazing leader. Uh, you're going to be a huge catalyst in your community, whatever that is. I feel like I had people telling me things that were similar. But when I got out of college, there wasn't any sort of direct path where I could immediately take advantage of that potential. Right. You know, there's kind of this this unspoken promise that if you go through school and you get good grades, that when you get out on the other side, that there's automatically going to be some sort of position there that fulfills everything you want. And it's going to be something you're passionate about. And it's going to give you all of the money that you need. And you're going to be able to pay off your student loans super fast. And the reality is that for most people, that's not really the case. I don't know, Madison, was that your experience when you got out of school that immediately your dream job was just waiting for you? Oh, totally. (laughs) No, no, not at all. Not at all. And especially not during the pandemic. Of course not. (laughs) 
Yeah, my, my little brother graduated this year as well, and he's also having a hard time figuring that out. So, uh, you know, I, I kind of floundered around for a little bit, and I actually didn't have a direct path into finance by any means. I actually spent a whole bunch of time bartending. Um, so I worked in bars, nightclubs, resorts. I actually went and lived on a ranch out in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. And I really enjoyed all of that. I probably spent about six years in and out of the service industry, which is a fancy name for, for bartending, right? So I was actually bartending one day and I was making pretty decent money even just as a bartender, right? I, I had enough that I could save a bunch of money and I was ready to start investing and I wanted to do better. And I tried to self-educate. Right. And you sound like you've read a couple of books about finance as well. So you're fairly familiar with that. And it was interesting because when I was growing up, whenever I wanted to learn something, I'd go and spend time at the library. Right. That's how I always learned stuff. I spent a ton of time there. And so I read seven or eight books on personal finance. And I started getting really frustrated because the first few books I read just didn't really seem relevant. Um, you know, I was a I was a bartender, so I didn't get a 401k. I didn't have health insurance. I didn't have any sort of benefits. Um, I went home with a, a pile of cash every night, right? Like that's what it's like bartending. And so all of these books were giving me advice that totally wasn't relevant. I didn't get a match on my contributions. I'm contributing to what, right? None of it sounded real. So I was trying to go and invest in something that one of the books had recommended and it wasn't even available anymore. <laughs> and I was like, this is so frustrating. Like I can Google finance all day long and everybody's biased. Everybody's got an agenda. Everybody's giving me different information. And it was really frustrating. So it just happens to be kind of um, serendipity that a few weeks after that, I was bartending on a Friday night and this guy came and he sat at the bar and we hit it off. We had a conversation and he told me he was a financial advisor. And I was like, oh my God, really? Like, that's exactly who I'm looking for. Like, you must be who I'm looking for. So I, I sat down and I had an appointment with him and he asked me all of these questions about my goals and my dreams and what I wanted to retire and what I wanted out of life and how much money I wanted coming in every single month after I retired. And I was like, nobody's asked me this stuff before. You know, and it's stuff that I should have been thinking about, but but why would I, right? It wasn't relevant. So basically at the end of it, he put a plan together for me. Uh, he introduced me to somebody to do my taxes. He told me exactly where to put my retirement funds. And after putting this plan together, I was like, hey, this was so helpful for me. I feel like I'm in charge of my finances. I feel like I know what's going on. I feel like I'm actively contributing towards my own goals. How can I introduce you to my friends? Right. Because if, if I don't know this stuff, I know they don't know this stuff. Right. I know I'm the only one of my friends reading finance books right, right. now. So uh, basically, after that point, they just offered me a job. They're like, you know what? Why don't you just go help those people yourself? If you know people who can use this, why don't you go out into your own community and see how you can help those people in the same way? So that was kind of the the beginning of all of it. Um, and now that guy who, uh, you know, was my financial advisor, um, we became business partners. And then a couple of years later, we actually started dating. So now uh, he's my, my partner in life and my partner in business. So it's funny how everything kind of kind of wraps up all neat that way. So that was a really long story. And I'll take a breath and let you, <laughs> <laughs> let you talk here. That's pretty much all of it. I love that little bit of romance, a lot of um, self-empowerment. I, I love that for you. <laughs> um, and I guess in that whole journey, this will be the last question and then we'll move on to a little bit of a break. But um, in that whole journey, how has your view or opinion towards money changed over that course of time? Yeah, I feel like in so many ways, you know, the biggest part of, of what I do is more personal development and mindset development than it is actual physical changes. 
And it's weird how that works because you would think that there's, there's this illusion out in the world that somehow everybody has it all together, that everybody's making more money. Uh, everybody is better with their money. Everybody's more prepared for things. And the reality is that it's not real. You know, I've sat down with enough people, literally hundreds of people and seeing their financial situations start to finish. And the reality is that nobody knows almost anything. And just because you make more money doesn't mean you're better with your money. That doesn't automatically come with the territory. So I meet with people sometimes who make 350 or 400 grand a year and they have nothing in their savings account. But I'll meet with people who have $30,000 a year coming in and they have a ton of savings. They have an emergency plan. They have life insurance. Their family is totally taken care of. And it's a wildly different situation. So the first thing I've learned is that having more money doesn't necessarily make you better with your money. And the second thing I've learned, and I could go on about this for days, is that if you don't get your mindset right, then it doesn't matter what you do with the rest of it. So I don't know if, you know, exactly how you were raised, but a lot of people were raised with ideas from their family, from their environment that, for instance, it's bad to be money motivated, right? We talked a little bit about that in that, in that breakout chat, that it's bad if you want a better life for yourself. It's bad if you want more money. It's selfish. It's greedy. And the reality is that um, money just makes you more of who you already are. It's an amplifier. So if you're a kind person and a generous person and you care about helping your community with the resources that you have, then guess what? That only gives you more resources to be more kind, to be more generous and to help your community in bigger ways. But the reverse is also true. So if you're the kind of person who's greedy and selfish and doesn't care about other people and only cares about yourself, then guess what? Money is only going to amplify that. So it's not something that's good or bad. It's, it's just a tool. So if, you're, if your parents told you anything or if you had anything in your mind, like, you know, people who are wealthy are people who have done bad things to get that money, for instance, then do you think that you want to be somebody who's wealthy? Probably not. And even limiting beliefs like that or uh, money doesn't grow on trees, right? That's another big one. Or I didn't grow up with a, a silver spoon in my mouth, right? Or <laughs> money's the root of all evil. If you have any of those limiting beliefs, then why would you want to get good with your money? Why would you right. want to make more? Why would you want to have more in savings? Why would you want to invest? Why would you want to have the sometimes millions of dollars that you need to retire the way that you want to? So if you don't address the mindset stuff, the rest of it doesn't really matter. Does that answer your question? Oh, it totally answers my question. And that is a perfect time for our break. So thank you for answering those first few questions. And we'll be right back with some more. Hi, it's Wendy. I hope you're enjoying the podcast so far. Did you know that for as little as $10 a month, you can support a high school girl to participate in the STEM Blazers program for an entire school year? We couldn't do our work without you. Your generosity will create the opportunity for a student to build a network with inspiring women working in STEM, attend field trips, and participate in mentorship and job shadow experiences. To hear more about the STEM Blazers impact, please visit us at www.stemblazers.org impact. To join our giving program, just scroll to the bottom of the page. Thank you so much to all of our donors who are helping us with our mission and our work with the next generation of young women. Now let's get back to the conversation. So jumping right back in, what do you think is the most rewarding part of being a financial advisor and how do you empower women to take charge of their own finances? 
Well, I feel like those answers are probably very, very similar. So uh, I feel like the, the most empowering part about being a financial advisor is probably a couple of things because um, what I'm really doing in practice is I'm giving people a space to be very, very open about their goals and their dreams with nothing but encouragement, right? I think a lot of people have already decided that where they're at is as good as it's going to get. You know, it's funny. I talk to people who are in even their early 20s, right? I I work with a a wide range of clients. I actually don't have um, what's called a minimum, which means that I can work with literally anybody, no matter how much money that they have. And so I'll work with people who are really young sometimes and they'll say stuff like, well, I I guess I'd like to buy a house at some point, but I don't think I'll I'll ever be able to. Or I want to retire, but I don't think I'll ever be able to, right? And they have all of these ideas about what's possible or what's impossible. And I'll ask, like, hey, who, who told you that, right? Where did you get that idea? And they don't really know. They just feel like the world is kind of crushing them. And all of these goals and dreams, all of these big things that they want and this big vision for their life have already been taken off the table before they even really get started. And so the the biggest part is sitting down with people and saying, hey, this is what's possible for you. Here's exactly how you do it. You know, I I got um, last year, I was working with a client who when we started working together, they were probably about $20,000 in debt between their credit cards and their student loans and their car. And they had maybe $50 left over every single month and they didn't have any money in savings and they were really having a hard time. And then after a year of working together with with more education, with more encouragement, with more support, he sends me a text message and he's like, I did it. And I was like, you did, you did what? And he was like, well, I did it. I paid everything off. My car's paid off. My credit cards are paid off. My student loans are paid off. And I have $10,000 in my emergency fund. And I cried because <laughs> I was like, that's, that's such a big deal, right? You feel like right. you're making an impact on the world, right? When you have conversations over and over and over again, asking people directly how you can help them. But when you see those things come into reality, right, that they said they wanted it and then they did it because of my influence, right? And it's not just because of me, obviously. He's the one who who put in the work, who changed his mindset, who changed his habits. But knowing that I can be somewhat of a catalyst for my community and make changes that are going to make not only his life better off, but what about his kids, right? What about the people who is now he's passing on that mindset and that education to? That's a really tangible way to leave a legacy in a way that's not just leaving money behind, but also leaving influence behind. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the big things. And then I would say as far as empowering women and, you know, there's a lot of different ways that I look at this because as, as you're probably aware of, finance is a heavily male-dominated industry. Mm -hmm. Um, It has been for a really long time. And when you think of a financial advisor, you probably think of uh, like an old white guy in a fancy office. (laughs) And the reality is that that's basically who financial advisors are. The average financial advisor is a 55-year-old white man. And we're actually going through this crazy transition right now where about 40% of them are getting ready to retire and leave the industry. So historically, we've been in this place where if you can Google you know, uh, how many financial advisors are women, it's only about 16% of financial advisors are female. And that's absolutely insane to me. So the first way that I'm focusing on, you know, empowering women when it comes to their finances is that first, I really aim my resources, my education towards female clients. And that's because there's a lot of issues that specifically affect women, 
right? We know that there is this gender pay gap and it's not necessarily just because of discrimination or because of prejudice. Um, there's all of these different decisions that women make over time, decisions to take time off of work to take care of kids, for instance, or to take care of aging parents. That usually tends to be things that women take on. Statistically, we, we know that that's the case, um, but also other things, right? If you think about most women in America actually outlive their partners. It's actually four out of five women in America outlive their male partners, if that's the case. And so a lot of women also marry partners who are older than them. And women are mo much more likely to take time out of the workplace. So when you have that perfect storm all built together, what that looks like is that a lot of the times women specifically could be in a spot where they have 15 to 30 years in retirement where they're completely by themselves and they're completely the breadwinners and they won't be ready for it. So there's a lot of different things that are kind of creating this perfect storm of, first of all, women need help. Right. And they need people who understand their situation perfectly. Um, and I think that as a woman, I'm, I'm kind of poised to be able to do that. Right. Right. And so that's the first thing is that, you know, I'm providing a lot of really specific education for the people who are absolutely crying out for it. You know, there's so many women who want to do better with their finances. But I work with all of these people who are so hardworking and driven and smart and ambitious, but their finances are totally a blind spot totally a blind spot. And that's because sometimes we have these feelings of anxiety and guilt and shame tied up with our money because we feel like we should be doing better. We should already know this stuff, but nobody's taught us, right? The secret is nobody's taught the dudes either. They just act like they know what they're talking about. <laughs> that's the big secret, right? So that's kind of the first thing that I'm doing is you know, I want to help women in a really specific way and I, I'm doing my best to make that happen. Um, but the second part of, of what I'm doing here is that, you know, about 20% of what I do is meeting with personal clients. You know, I meet with clients, I put plans together for them, we're long-term relationships, like it, it's a great time. But the rest of what I do, um, my passion is really in building other people. And so Cameron and I, my, my partner, right, we actually run an organization where we train other financial advisors, so uh, it's not just me. It's not just Cameron. I actually train a whole bunch of young women specifically who are getting poised to take a position in this industry where there's a huge gap and a huge need for them. So that's actually a huge opportunity for women who want to get into a field like this, because we know that 40% of advisors are leaving the industry right now. We know that 10,000 baby boomers are retiring every single day. And we also know that they're about to pass on the largest wealth transfer in history, right? As baby boomers are retiring, getting older, they're going to be passing wealth on to the millennials and to Gen Z, and they need advisors to help with that. So that need, that shortage is our opportunity because as women, right, this is 100% the time to take advantage of all of this. I can tell you that over the last few months, specifically since March, my business has gone totally nationwide. So now I'm not just training women in Denver. I'm actually training women in Virginia and Tennessee and Georgia and Florida and New Mexico and Texas and Montana. That's crazy, right? We have this, this opportunity that's been kind of a crisis this year, but has opened up windows for, for women specifically where there weren't before. And I'm also training women on a part-time basis. So if they have kids or if they need a more flexible schedule, then they can do that. So I'm working in, in a really unique way um, in an industry that hasn't traditionally been, I'll say, the warmest or 
the most encouraging for young women, if that makes sense. Again, a really long answer, but hopefully that answered all of it. <laughs> no, it totally did. Um, and then I know that you're um, passionate about entrepreneurship. Could you explain what entrepreneurship means to you and how people in the STEM fields can use entrepreneurship in their own lives? Yes. Um, I am so glad that you talked about that because uh, I think that I kind of have uh, not necessarily something unique within the STEM industries. I think there's a massive spot for women in STEM with a crossover to entrepreneurship, right? In the field of tech and engineering and, and, and math and science, right? There's all of these people who are creators, right? Who are leaders and I think that there's a couple different ways that you can look at it. First of all, I can tell you that the best thing I've ever done for myself was start a business. It was the most difficult thing I've ever done uh, to this day, right? And it's still going. It's not like the hard part is is over by any <laughs> means, right? Like I'm still learning. I'm still personally developing. I still have my own personal struggles. <laughs> but it was the very first time in my life that I had to take personal accountability for every part of my existence. What that meant is if I don't work... I don't get paid. If I don't find clients, if I don't learn how to do my taxes, if I don't learn how to, um, you know, sell somebody something, and I mean that in a positive way, right? The only uh, sales I'm making are consider are convincing people to act in their own best interest. Essentially, I will say that there was so much fear involved for me when I started doing something for myself, and we all have these comfort zones where we're safe and we're secure. But the hard thing about comfort zones is within your comfort zone, there's not very much growth. And when I was staying in a job like bartending, for instance, I loved bartending. I had a blast. I made good money. I saved money. Um, I was always a part of the party, but I'm not very fun. So I don't drink very much. Like, it was, you know, I was always involved, but I didn't really have to be, you know, involved. You know what I mean? Right. So I really enjoyed all of that. And I was really comfortable but I wasn't going anywhere. There was always a ceiling on what I could do. I was always at the mercy of somebody else's schedule or somebody else's decisions. And for me, that wasn't the right call. So when I had to take accountability for everything in my life, I started growing over and over and over again. And sometimes that meant I was growing through failure. And for me, the, the best and most impactful parts of my life felt the worst while they were happening. And so I, I don't want anybody to think that entrepreneurship is just like uh, a struggle all the way because it certainly <laughs> isn't. It's also the, the, the most fun thing that I've ever been a part of. But I would say that's the first part of it is that going out of your comfort zone, taking a leap of faith. At some point, everybody in their life should do something that includes a leap of faith right? Start some sort of a side hustle or uh, some sort of a, a small business. Keep your other job if you want to, but, but you've got to do something big and scary for yourself. And if that's not entrepreneurship, maybe that's trying a new skill. Everybody needs to see themselves do something that they're bad at and see themselves continue to work until they start to see progress. It's so good for you. It's so good for your character. It's so good for your confidence. You got to do it. But if that's not for you, what I would encourage you to do is look for ways that you could take more ownership in your current position, right? More personal accountability is that, you know what, I think I want to take more responsibility on this specific project, or I want to go out of my comfort zone and ask to be involved in something that traditionally I wouldn't because I'm not super comfortable with it, or it's not something I'm already good at. If, if, that's, if you're not an entrepreneur, right, find a way to step out and still grow yourself, even if it's not something that's life-changing and could potentially uh, 
I'll say be really, really hard, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's great. So now we are going to move on to our rapid fire question round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions and you're going to try to answer them as fast as you can. So let me know when you are ready to go. Get some stretches in. (laughs) All right, let's do it. Okay. Are you pro credit cards or anti credit cards? Oh, that depends. Uh, If you're the kind of person who can stomach having credit cards and paying them off every single month, uh, then yes, if you're somebody who's new to your personal finances and you don't have any money in savings, then probably not. For some people, it's a blessing. For some people, it's a curse. Talk to your financial advisor about it. Beautiful. <laughs> um, what is your favorite place that you have ever visited? Ooh, uh, I lived in Jackson Hole in Wyoming for a while. That's got to be top five, at least on the list. So I'll leave it at that for right now. All right. Should we abolish the penny? I don't know. I like, I like loose change. You know, I like carrying stuff around. So I will say that's something that I, I seriously don't have an opinion in, but I like the feel of, of change in my pocket. So my answer is a hard no. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is your favorite hobby? Uh, well, I'm still just that kid who wants to be in the circus. So I do a lot of uh, dance, gymnastics, uh, aerial arts, things like that. So uh, anything where I can just uh, be upside down like a little kid. Those are my favorite hobbies. <laughs> Um, what is a book that everyone should read? I would say uh, Think and Grow Rich is a good one. That's kind of a classic. It's been around for literally forever. Um, but that's actually a really good introduction to what I was going to say in that my company actually put out a book. Thank you for the unintentional plug. Um, <laughs> it's literally called How Money Works. Okay, So this is a book that's literally just about basic financial education. And for anybody who um, tells me that they're with the Stumblazers organization, I'm happy to send you a book completely for free, right? I buy these literally so I can just give them out to people for free education. So how many works? It's a great book. Uh, and let me know if you want one and I'll send one your way. Perfect. Pick it up, everyone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> what is the oddest job that you have worked? Oh, man. Uh, you know what? This is, this is so stupid. I haven't thought about this for so long. Um, literally, when I was in high school, uh, I, it was like a friend's mom literally paid me to go to um, another friend's graduation party because they'd hired a DJ and they thought that all of the kids wouldn't dance unless there were other kids there dancing. So they literally paid me to go and just like dance at a graduation party. It was real weird. <laughs> um, what are three things that you can't live without? I mean, at this point, probably the internet. I do almost everything online. So I'm kind of a sucker for that at this point. Uh, I would say my dog. Uh, Stella, she's here in the background. She's made a couple of guest appearances already. <laughs> You're going to laugh, but it's literally like my laptop stand because if I don't have it, then I just have to like hunch over and I get really bad migraines. So that's a really boring answer, but like my laptop stand is going to be on that list. Ergonomics are important. So <laughs> exactly. <that>. Exactly. <laughs> um, what is your favorite song right now? Um, okay. Specifically Exile by Taylor Swift featuring Bonnie Bear really good definitely listen to it uh it makes me almost cry every time I don't want to say that I cry every time because I'm not that emotional but every once in a while if you really need a good uh cathartic moment that's the one (laughs) that's the song all right and then the last rapid fire question is would you rather win five million dollars tomorrow or a hundred million dollars in 20 years that's a hard one to answer because I really got to pull out my calculator for that one (laughs) Let me see if the compounding interest makes my $5 million, $100 million in 20 years. Uh, <laughs> $5 million, Okay, in 20 years. Okay, I'm going to assume 
a 10% rate of interest with zero extra payments. I'm going to grow this in a tax deferred way. Okay. I take the hundred million because at 10%, it looks like that's only going to give me about $36 million. So I take the hundred million. hundred million it is. (laughs) hundred million it is. (laughs) Um, And then lastly, this is a question that we ask all of our guests. Standing where you are now, what advice would you give to your high school self? Uh, Don't be afraid of the hard stuff. You know, like, and I'm not talking about alcohol, right? Uh, you know, stay, stay clean, kiddos. <laughs> but uh, I will say that the most difficult moments of my life have brought on the most growth by far. Um, I would say the other thing I would say is that people aren't thinking about you nearly as much as you think they're thinking about you. So make your decisions independently of what you think other people are thinking, because chances are they're probably just thinking about themselves. That's mostly what the world is like. All right. That is great. Thank you so much for joining us today. You had um, such great insights to give us, and I'm sure all of our listeners really enjoyed hearing what you have to say. And thank you to all of our listeners for joining us on this episode of the STEM Blazers podcast. Next week, we will be speaking with a new professional. To learn more about STEM Blazers, to donate or to get involved, please visit us at stemblazers.org or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at STEM Blazers. 